Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, we're sitting down with Nate Vaughn and Tyler Barber from Rocket Travel, speaking a little bit about what they're doing with Kotlin on the server side and back end. Hi, guys, and welcome to the show. Hey, howdy. So, Rocket Travel, I'm assuming that this is somehow related to travel, right? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a fair assumption. So, we've, uh, we work in the airline uh, loyalty program space. Um, the, uh, the flagship site, rocketmiles.com, allows you to um, use whatever airline loyalty program you're part of and earn miles by staying at different hotels. Uh, we've also got um, some uh, websites we do for different loyalty programs as, as white label hotel platforms. Uh, and so we're, we're kind of all over the place in the, in the hotel and loyalty program industry. Oh, that's good to hear. That's something I'm, I'm definitely interested in, given the amount of travel that I do, which is which is also sad. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so you guys have Java Shop uh, by default, or you've you're kind of multi-platform, multi-polyglot, whatever it is that uh, we say nowadays. Yeah, I think we. What I like to say when people are asking about our stack at Rocket Travel is that uh, we love Java for the JVM. Uh, but we don't use a lot of Java itself. So um, we're a bunch of ex-Java engineers that like writing just about anything but Java. We're not trying to uh, you know, say anything negative about Java or, or so, but it is fair to say that there's a lot of people in that f camp that like Java for the JVM and not necessarily the language. So given that, uh, because I was reading through the blog post that, that you folks have put out, and uh, we'll get into the details of that a little bit later. Because, but it was mentioning that, you know, you you kind of adopted Kotlin about a year ago or so. But so, if you were Java developers on the JVM, not liking Java, what exactly were you using on the JVM? So we've actually uh, we're actually a Groovy and Grails shop uh, from historically. So uh, five years ago, when the company was founded, uh, the company founders, I think, very rightly and very smartly. <clears throat> wanted to pick a set of technologies that allowed them to prototype uh, extremely quickly, but didn't, um, didn't, didn't close off any uh, avenues for performance improvements. Uh, and so uh, Chris Hellenek, the company founder, uh, had worked with Grails before and picked Grails uh, and Groovy just because of how quickly uh, you could get a, a prototype off the ground. And I think the, you know, the, the first version of Rocket Miles was written in like four or five weeks um, and uh, just to get in front of customers and to start that iteration process. So uh, Groovy is probably, of all the code bases across Rocket Miles, Groovy is probably, I would guess, 70%, 60 or 70% of all code bases at Rock or all code at Rocket Miles is written in Groovy. But would you say that that prototyping and having something, you know, in, in five or six weeks with a rapid turnaround, was that because of Groovy or would you say it's because of Grails mostly, or a combination of both? Uh, so Gro Groovy was, uh, I, I know that we like Groovy uh, for many of the same reasons we like Kotlin. It's just Kotlin didn't, you know, it was in its infancy five years ago. Uh, and uh, Scala was, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just not the right choice for uh, other reasons. But uh, Groovy, uh, the the um, Chris and, and uh, some of the other early developers really liked Groovy because of the functional programming that it facilitated. I know that by uh, you know 2018 standards, Groovy is not thought of as a functional language. But if you compare it to 
you know, Java six, Java seven, it, it actually, that was a big part of the appeal was, um, uh, being able to just kind of, uh, manipulate data, um, doing things like processing hotel results, you know, uh, there's some algorithms written in Groovy that, uh, you know, take one set of hotel results from one upstream, um, wholesale hotel provider and merge it with those from, you know, maybe 30 or 40 other providers and doing that in Java, um, pure Java would just be, you know, as we all know, that's just like one of, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself and say it's one of my least favorite things to do in Java. Um, so Groovy at that particular time actually had some appeal as a functional style programming language to the uh, early developers and company founders. Uh, that said, Grails was a known entity that it was, you know, built on top of Spring um, meant that to the company founders that, hey, we can start uh, optimizing this uh, whenever we are big enough to start caring about that stuff. Uh, but Grails just basically provided uh, a front end, a back end data access uh, all on the JVM with, uh, you know, really uh, quick turnaround times. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, I mean, to be honest with you, yes, I wouldn't have thought of Groovy as a as a functional language, but I guess it does make sense at the time. But um, so Grails, if I'm not mistaken, was kind of like Ruby on Rails on the JVM with Groovy, right? That that's what it was. Uh, yeah, still is. Uh, it's, it's it's still an active development, although it's kind of fallen out of um, favor. Uh, uh, it's not, it's not a hot hyped framework, but yes, uh, I guess like, uh, some of the differences between it and spring framework is that, uh, it, you know, does some things like give you directories, uh, for different, uh, stereotypes so that you are not using annotations. You're just kind of using where you put stuff up to tell the application how to wire it together. I think that was borrowed from rails. Um, there's also some, uh, code generation and, and, uh, HTML administration, uh, there's an administration side of it, admin side of it, uh, where you can essentially administer your database from a web application that's auto-generated from uh, entity classes or what Grails calls domain classes. Um, that was another appeal uh, because right out, right out of the bat, uh, you know, the company had customer service uh, agents or people doing customer service that were administering reservations and things like that. And they uh, didn't want to have to hire, you know, an de extra developer to just work on that side of the, of the um, business. And why do you think it's kind of become less popular uh, or, you know, not as widely adopted as, as as you mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like the, I, ha, I have, having worked with Grails for a couple of, a little over a year now, I, I kind of have a love hate relationship with it myself. Um, it's downsides are that, uh, it, it, at its worst, it's even buggier than, than spring can be. Um, and you know, sometimes you're adding a layer of abstraction on top of a layer of abstraction on top of a layer of abstraction and to get to the real kind of heart of the matter when you need to uh you're just one more step removed from that uh another thing is it, it's um just kind of has a lot of uh, con uh, uh convention overhead if that makes sense where if you want to do something a certain way it might be more difficult than uh, you expect it to be that said uh the, the grails I, I have to give credit to the grails development team for continuing to pivot 
uh, as like they've gotten feedback from the community. So I, I think Grails in 2018 is actually much better than it was in 2013 when the company was founded. Uh, but I think the damage has already, per personally speaking, this is a personal opinion, I'm not speaking for anybody else, uh, but I think the damage to its reputation as a serious web application uh, building platform in 2018, uh, you know, has, has been done. Yeah, I mean, the, the generally, there's been kind of less adoption of, or the the hype of Ruby on Rails has also died down That's quite right. a bit over the years. And I was wondering if there's any kind of relationship with that. And I was just seeing that you know, there's so many different frameworks that you know everything that is. It's funny because you know, with with Kotlin, we we keep saying it's inter it's interoperable with the JVM, right? You you can basically use anything you want on the JVM, and sure, you can make thin thin wrappers or whatever to make it more idiomatic. But despite that, I mean, you've seen that there's tons of frameworks that are coming out or libraries which are basically a Kotlin version of an existing one, right? And and there is no Krails, right? Because normally also <laughs> what they do is they replace the whatever with the with the K. Uh, but there there was the Kara web framework very early on, which was, if I, I mean, it was a long time ago, but if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of built on the idea of, uh, you know, Ruby on Rails to, to try and speed up web development. Uh, Tyler, Tyler, have you ever done any work with Ruby on Rails? Um, not, not a ton. Um, and it was, it was, you know, way back um, when Groovy or when, sorry, when Rails was kind of, um, you know, the web framework to be using. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the change in what people are developing is is sort of, um, you know, a reflection on how people are architecting their code now. Um, it seems like uh, I know with Rails that handled a lot of the front end generation and everything like that for you. Um, and same with Grails, uh, and it seems like people are sort of modular, modularizing that now into into separate front-end code bases with uh, with Angular and things like that. So you know maybe it's just a um, an evolution on on how we're actually developing and and organizing software. Yeah, I guess. But uh, I mean, are you talking a little bit about the move also to microservices, so to speak, uh, away from monoliths and and architectures like that, or or not? Yeah, yeah. In in part, I, I um I'm not really too familiar with uh with how Rails handled a lot of the front end stuff. It seems like a lot of that was rendered on the back end and then delivered to the to the browser. Um, and I think I think some of that changes. Uh, you know, with with Angular and and React and those front end frameworks becoming a lot more popular. Um, so not not so much microservices, but but how you know we're we're really working with. Uh, or how front ends are being served now, as opposed to okay, how they yeah, work. you're talking about yeah. Sorry, you were talking about the front end. I was I, I kept thinking of Rails. I, I'm I always think of Rails as like the back end as well, right? I mean, I know that it does the rendering from the back end and pushes it to the front end, but all of the active record stuff and all of the other things are basically uh, your back end uh, architecture, so to speak, right? Right. Right. Uh, but so that's cool. So you are actually a groovy shop, and it's it's funny because just a couple of weeks ago, I w I had uh, Ken. Uh, Ken Cousin on the on the show. You, you you're familiar with him. He's one of the. I mean, he's been doing Groovy stuff for for years. Uh, he's got a couple of books out on Groovy. I'm yeah, I'm definitely familiar with his name. Yeah, 
and and we were talking, you know, it was like uh, the groovy guy on the Kotlin on the Kotlin show, right? And um, we at some point, I'm like, okay, we got to rename this episode to Talking Groovy as opposed to Talking Kotlin. <laughs> uh, and then you guys come on Talking Groovy, and I'm like, okay, right, I have to definitely find some other episode to push in between these two. <laughs> Otherwise, it goes up. Yeah. Otherwise, everybody's going to think that that you only have on uh, Groovy plus Kotlin guests. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, I gave up on Kotlin. Now I'm just doing Groovy. Uh, so so you guys are Groovy. Uh, you've, you've been doing Groovy and uh, Grails. And at some point, which was what, roughly last year, you decided to, what, essentially move over to Kotlin and dump Grails and use Spring? Or, or what happened there? I think sure, it's so been then, two years now. Is that right, Tyler? Um, yeah, I think... Uh, mid mid 2016 um so we we kind of uh grails is still very common in the rocket uh code bases um it's it's still like nate said still probably makes up 70 to 80 percent of the code um but we had uh around around when kotlin went 1.0 um we were splitting out um a specific service that interacts with different loyalty program uh, apis and uh, spring boot had gained popularity at that time too uh so the um, some of the earlier programmers at Rocket decided to you know why not write a web service uh, in Kotlin using Spring Boot and uh, and see how that turns out. So so the first actual Kotlin inside Rocket was a Greenfield application, um, and that's still the case today. Um, and we we've slowly as as more people in the company have become exposed to Kotlin, uh, we've started to see some Groovy code bases slowly make the transition into uh, more Kotlin based than, than Groovy based. Yeah, and speaking to Interop, I found Kotlin Interop to be just really uh, seamless. Uh, so we have both of the code bases that I work on right now. I'm temporarily assigned to uh, a service that's, uh, I don't know, I guess just a back-end hotel distribution service. Um, uh, and it's probably, its code base is probably at least half Kotlin. Probably half to sixty percent Kotlin, uh, running, getting compiled and then pulled into a Grails app uh, and then running on Grails. So, uh, and I actually really like it. I, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, I've kind of come to a really happy spot in writing backend web services in which um, having a bunch of uh, Kotlin or you know just some some really rigid uh, structured. Uh, classes, things like Kotlin data classes. You know, we use a lot of Kotlin data classes. Uh, I reach for them anytime. Uh, you know, I need to hand data around the application. Um, you know, it just makes you have a lot of confidence in the structure of your data that's moving around your application. Uh, but then to kind of glue together all of your services using something really uh, loose uh, and dynamic is actually just a really positive experience. I'll give you one example. Um, there was a data access service that just needed, we needed to squeeze any performance we could uh, out of it that I've been working on the last uh, couple of weeks. And um, so we had an existing implementation that was written in Groovy uh, using Gorm, which is uh, Grails ORM. Uh, and um, I thought to myself, you know, I, I, man, I bet if I just get a little bit lo more low level uh, with this, I can... Um, squeeze some performance improvements out of it. Uh, so what we did, uh, what I did was write a, a second uh, implementation of the same service uh, and then literally just pulled it up uh, on our AWS hardware. Uh, Groovy, Grails provides a, uh, a basically an eval function uh, as a web application. And I just took both of those services and swapped them out 
live on the site, uh, you know, as I was running on AWS hardware, and uh, just compared different operations uh, from the web application uh, console. And that, you know, for performance testing, that is kind of like the quick and dirty uh, version, sure. But uh, man, it was about five minutes to start performance. You know, once the service was done, it was five minutes before I had a nice little test harness set up uh, where I could test, you know, in the real world, how fast is data access against the real tables uh, that we're uh, going against. And so to be, to have that dynamic uh, framework kind of glue together these more um, structured uh, pieces, I, I don't know, it's a happy spot for me. I really like it. So you said that you got about 60, 60% or so Kotlin. I would say in so, the yeah. code base, right? Yeah. So, and the rest is completely groovy. Yeah, we, we, we write Java when we need something that's shared among uh, different uh, products in the company. So pretty much just libraries. That's the only time we reach for Java. Right. And the interop with Groovy, I mean, because, you know, we've had a lot of people talk about interop with Java. Sure. Uh, but we've not had a lot of people talk about interop with Groovy. And, and you're saying that that's smooth. It's, it's pretty flawless. Yeah. Or? yeah. Uh, the, the only uh, hiccups I've seen is... Um, occasionally, I know you're uh, from JetBrains, and, and occasionally IntelliJ. Uh, IntelliJ, I would say, for the most part, is spot on, uh, but in occasionally it will uh, be holding on to some uh, cached Kotlin classes uh, that it's really hard to get it to let go of. And so Groovy, uh, the Groovy compiler will uh, say a method doesn't exist or something like that. Uh, but then if you go and compile it from, we use, we're a Gradle shop as well. Uh, if you go compile it from Gradle and then rebuild from uh, IntelliJ, uh, all will be right with the world. But uh, that's that's the worst I've seen, honestly. All right. You should probably use a good IDE. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will, we will try and fix that. I mean, if that's the biggest hurdle uh, in interrupt with Groovy, that's pretty good. That's right? pretty good. So, you know, that, I've seen a lot yeah. worse. Now, Nate, yeah. do you guys have, um, do you guys have Groovy, or sorry, Kotlin code in the same source directories or, or how does that work? Is it, is it, are they jarred up in different modules and then consumed by Groovy? Yeah. So we, we have, uh, you know, basically like, Source main Kotlin and source main Groovy, uh, and then uh, uh, yeah, the Grails. The way Grails works is that all of your um, service code, uh, you know, goes in, into some uh, services directory by default. But we're actually using kind of a more manual uh, wiring together of the application where we kind of explicitly declare here's the implementation we'd like you Grails to wire together for this particular service. Uh, you know, interface or something like that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw an interface up. Uh, all our interfaces have to be Kotlin because Kotlin's compiled first uh, in the, like, Gradle flow. And uh, so, you know, that Kotlin will use to define uh, the interface for service and then, in many cases, just an implementation as well uh, using, we use, like, uh, you know, JavaX uh, inject annotations, uh, so add inject. And you know we'll write a, a service in Kotlin that's an implementation, whatever the interface is. We can then also have a Groovy implementation of that service for a different purpose, or you know just it might be a legacy thing that we want to keep around, you know, for some reason for a few weeks or something like that. Uh, and then we just kind of manually define uh, how we would like that all uh, wired together for Grails. Um, and uh, so Kotlin's compiled first, uh, and then Grails kind of takes all of those pieces and wires them together. Uh, into the the final web application. Does that make sense? Looking at the 
you I mean you I, I want to call it a blog post but it's not a blog post it's, it's pretty much like a mini guide of, of so many pages uh that's uh there's a there's a blog post and we'll put it in the show notes which is a uh, Kotlin on the back end of rocket travel and, and you know you've covered uh, a ton of information there so you've you're talking about how you're using uh Kotlin with spring which essentially I'm guessing that you don't have any hiccups there and everything is 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 pretty smooth right and, and this is spring boot or is it just spring no it's it's a uh, it's spring boot yeah so the the greenfield application I'd mentioned earlier was um was written initially with spring boot and it still is um and no yeah we we had zero problems so far integrating with spring itself um and even some some of the libraries we bring in also written in kotlin to to interact with uh different loyalty program apis um we wire up those using Spring as well, um, and it's it's been no problem so far. One other place that wasn't mentioned in that in that blog post is we also use Colin for a couple of Spark jobs. There's a couple of uh, jobs where, uh, you know, I've written Spark uh, on top of the Spark Java um, uh, API before, and uh, so we had a couple of you know just use cases where we needed some you know asynchronous nightly processing, uh, and. Uh, of some data we had it uh, sitting up in S3. And uh, so actually, actually another developer, uh, you know, just said, well, why don't we try Kotlin with this? And I was like, sure, Lo, you know, why not? Um, and uh, so, yeah, that uh, we got a couple of jobs that just kind of happily tick away that are 100% Kotlin. All of the configuration uh, is Kotlin, uh, all of, and then all of the actual application code is Kotlin. And uh, we found it to be I don't know. I'd say there was an A plus experience writing Spark jobs in Kotlin, which is is again kind of like a testament to the interoperability. You're using a bunch of other things, like for example, you know the, the typical JUnit and uh, Mockitos and things. And and the other one that you bring up is Spec, mm -hmm. uh, which holds a dear place in my heart, of course. Um, <laughs> to, just just to be clear, and and uh, if you if you get round to updating the your blog post ever, just a minor note that it. Spec isn't actually an official JetBrains uh, framework. Uh, oh, okay. The fact that I was just working, you know, I'm working at JetBrains and put it together and I threw it under the uh, JetBrains repository, uh, you know, it, it's in fact moved now into its own organization, so to speak. It's got like the spec framework. Got it. Got it. Uh, Very good to know. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, and I mean, I would love for it to be uh, official, but it's not. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately confuse that and they say well you know spec is the framework to use for uh testing kotlin which isn't true right you can use pretty much any framework that you want mm -hmm. but you have used spec and so my question is like you know because i'm wondering why you spec and j unit why why combine both where are you drawing the line in, in where i would use spec and where i would use j unit Sure. So the way we have it set up, we actually, um, we, a majority of our repositories use JUnit for testing. Um, the issue we run into uh, is, is specifically with Spring. Um, we weren't able to find a way to get um, auto-wiring and injecting mocks working well with spec. Um, so libraries that yeah. we don't rely on Spring for, um, we will use spec syntactically. I think we prefer it to JUnit. Um, but yeah, the, the Spring compatibility isn't quite what we need it to be to, to test libraries where we heavily deploy, uh, rely on Spring. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. No, I've, I, I, I haven't tracked the ticket, <laughs> the help ticket for the, the Spring uh, 
I think yeah, the spring context needs to be updated to work with spec. Yeah, and uh, and and to be fair, like there there's you know there's now three people more or less on the core team. I'm not participating that much in code anymore. Uh, and and Rania is has just moved countries, uh, moved jobs and countries. You know, um, Artyom moved country and job. Uh, I think the uh, the only other one that uh, hasn't, uh, which is Artur, he's he hasn't moved country or job yet. So you know, it's it's been kind of like hectic for all of them on the core team. Uh, but yeah, we do know that because there is a lot of people that demand support for spec and uh, Spring, right? And but the, the, and I say demand because of course you know that this is an open source project, and I wish that we would get many more pull requests than we get um, issues opened and, and upvotes. But anyway, you got to love open source, right? Yeah, good good opportunity <laughs> to, to volley for people to, to start opening PRs to spec. Exactly. Yes, people, come on. You just <laughs> Don't you see that there are people waiting for spring support? Do something about it, you know? <laughs> We're not paying you for nothing over here, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no, I, the, the reason that I asked, because I thought that maybe you're drawing the line, because there's often a line that, that is drawn around, okay, well, I'm doing, you know, behavior-driven development, so I'll use spec, and I'm doing, a, a I don't want to say test-driven development, but I'm doing unit testing, and, I, and I'm going to use JUnit, which I personally, I find kind of artificial, because if, if it was up to me, I would just use the spec syntax for kind of everything, right? Um, but okay, that is good to know. And... In addition to spec and all of these, uh, well, the, the spring applications that you have, I also see that you're combining this with AWS Lambda, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was um, that was a decision made to uh, we this uh, the Greenfield application. It's an identity provider service where we manage uh, user sessions across um, you know these different loyalty programs, and and so we really it, it's the application itself is is more or less stateless, um, but we had some uh, some other use cases where we needed to introduce some kind of state um, to the application, and we were hesitant to actually put that in the code base. So, um, what we decided to do, we we really needed to just run run scheduled jobs. Um, and so, after some debate, we decided that you know let's let's try Lambda. You know, there's a way to to schedule those jobs using um, I think it's CloudWatch triggers, um, and you effectively get a nice cron replace a cron replacement that's off. Um, your application servers. Uh, it's not really tied to the application servers at all. So we so we built out some endpoints for the for the Lambda function to access it. Um, and I think you know our, our approach to the Lambda itself, we we were continuing to just piggyback off the environment that the JVM has provided. Um, and so Lambda functions uh, they they take uh, jars specifically. So it's not like Java code that you upload. It's it's just jars, and you tell it the entry point to the function that you want to run. Um, yeah. So long as you have the the correct dependencies in your project, uh, you know you can jar it up, upload it to the to the Lambda service, and and execute it that way. So that's all the the I think we have two at least on 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 my team we have we have two Lambda functions written in Kotlin entirely, um, that really read from a web service, um, package that information up into a flat file, and then offload it to an SFTP server uh, for some for some partners of ours. Yeah. But I mean, you're using Spring, right? And Spring has this concept of scheduled jobs as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so why move to AWS to do something like that? Um, we we thought it was it, the functionality was was sort of a one-off uh, function for a specific partner. Um, we we did look into Spring scheduled jobs, but it, we we almost felt like it was a bit too much overhead for what we needed this job to do. Um, 
and there was really no great interface for us either in the application. So yeah, you know, I suppose Spring Schedule Jobs could have done that. Um, but I, you know, the other part of it is I think there's a bit of an experimental culture at Rocket. Um, so if we thought, hey, this is a really good solution, it's it's really cheap. Um, Lambda functions themselves are very very inexpensive to run. Um, so we said, you know, why why not try it? Yeah. And the other thing that you're using is Docker, which is, I mean, like you, you've, it's awesome because you kind of like really, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say bored into it, but you, well, you essentially you have, I mean, your blog post finishes like we're completely bored into Kotlin, and you're using Docker. Any tips or issues or feedback on that side with Docker? And and for people that are not familiar, just tell people what Docker is. Yeah, sure. So, so Docker is a library for um, generating documentation for your code base, your Kotlin code base. Um, you can get uh, Javadocs out of it, HTML documents. Um, it's it's pretty much the the Javadoc equivalent for uh, for Kotlin. Um, you can use it as a Grails plugin, or sorry, not a Grails plugin, a a, a Gradle plugin, and um, run your Gradle documentation uh, task, and and it outputs everything you need. Um, and so we used it when we were developing a client library uh, for an internal service of ours that was going to be given to a third party. Um, and we we knew we wanted to write the library in Kotlin. They were consuming it with a Java service. Um, so we wanted to have everything documented well uh, and, and letting them know how to consume this Kotlin library from Java. Um, so yeah, we... we um, you know, we, we annotated all the uh, the interfaces with the with the Docker documentation for it. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing that, that Docker gave us, they have a lot of really good checks um, for if you have, um, because the, the default access modifier in Kotlin is public. Um, and they have a lot of really good checks. If you're not documenting public code, um, it'll actually warn you when you're running that Docker documentation generation task. Um, so it allowed us to, you know, really check ourselves on what we were, you know, what we might've been inadvertently exposing to, um, the, pe the people consuming the actual library itself. Um, so yeah, the, the, the actual generation, pay attention to those warnings. Um, and it lets you just helps you reevaluate, you know, your access levels and, and make sure you're doing that right. And then there's one other library that you've also used, which is Monkito. Uh, which there there are some, so to speak, issues, right, uh, with, with Kotlin, uh, or at least with the earlier versions of Mojito. Yeah. Um, so we we actually we struggled with this for for quite a bit. Um, so again, the by default, all Kotlin classes are final, um, and if you're familiar with Mojito, uh, you'll know that um, there's really not a good way to mock um, final classes. Uh, that's that's sort of changing a bit. Um, they've got a, I think it's Makito inline is the dependency now that's starting to allow you to um, mock some of that stuff. But uh, but yeah, you've got to you've got to open up the classes that you want to mock. So um, so that that was that was a bit of a learning curve. I mean, it's it, it, it makes a lot of sense why you have to do that. Um, but yeah, we we tripped over that for for a few days before we realized what was going on. Are you big in mocks? I mean, do you, do you, because like there is a tendency by a lot of people and there's, there's, there are people that just are radically against the idea of using any kind of mocks. So are you a, would you say that you are a, a mock shop, so to speak? Absolutely. You are? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the uh, controversy of mocking, but uh, we are a mock shop. 
the idea here uh, is that there's been like with anything you know people can take it to the, the extreme and you've there's a lot of code bases that you can encounter where you're actually setting up tests to test the mocks instead of actual code right and so many people have seen some of these code bases or are now of the school of thought where I, I really don't need to mock anything. I can essentially just focus on making uh, tests faster faster, and, and focus more on integration tests and versus more just unit tests with everything mocked out. So that, that's kind of where the, the controversy yeah, is. Yeah, that's an interesting controversy. I, I do see that, that point. Uh, I personally fall uh, very extremely in the other direction. Uh, I, I, when I'm working on code bases, uh, I make the team justify any integration test they're running. And it's not because of speed, uh, to me, it's, it's just, uh, I, I believe in testing at the smallest, uh, level possible and at the largest level possible and just almost nothing in between those two. Uh, so put another way, um, if you have a service that executes some business logic, that's critical to the application, uh, then it should have as few dependencies as possible if you're architecting the system right. Uh, those dependencies should be mocked uh, so that you can test the actual business logic. Um, and then uh, we, we also use uh, mock server uh, for basically like service level, I don't you know what you would call it, I've heard it called functional testing, but uh, you know, sort of service level um, uh, unit testing for this kind of the way I, I like to think of it, which is, and we do some really, really high level stuff. Uh, this, you know, uh, one example is, uh, take a, a current version of master for a master branch for a serv uh, service and then, uh, some feature branch, uh, and actually just check the JSON returned, uh, you know, if it's an HTTP service, which most of ours are JSON HTTP services, uh, and diff, uh, JSON, of master versus JSON of uh, this other uh, application. And um, I've found that, you know, testing at the really, really high level like that gives you a lot of uh, insight and safety. Uh, and with just very little overhead when you compare to wiring up two thirds of an application using spring integration tests or uh, Grails integration tests or, uh, and, you know, and then uh, using like HSQL or H2 or something like that for data access. Um, I just, I, I've seen a, a, a lot of time spent on uh, integration testing that at the end of the day uh, freezes the, in some case, at, at the worst, can freeze the application into some sort of implementation uh, uh, lock or something like that, where if, 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 it's not, if it's not wired together this way, uh, then this integration test is going to fail um, and I, I, I will, you know, we, uh, at Rocket, we tend to move quickly, uh, as quickly as possible, uh, when there's money to be made, uh, you know, ch chase down, uh, the MVP of, of something that we think can make the company money. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, kind of take a step back, uh, if, if it's a successful project, take a step back and, and begin the refactoring process. And I find that, uh, putting a shell of testing around a service, uh, allows you to refactor what's inside the service uh, with a lot, um, 
a lot more easily and, and you're not just kind of encountering uh, obstructions and cobwebs uh, in the tests that have been written that wire together, I don't know, half or two thirds of the application or five services plus some data access or something like that. So personal philosophy, I'm very against integration testing, very for mocking. Um, that, that said, I can see exactly, I can imagine exactly what you're talking about where uh, the Actually, we have it at Rocket. Uh, some of you know some of the some code at Rocket certainly has the problem of um, uh, the the there's so much mocking going on that at the end of the day the service uh, you're testing very little with a unit. Test. You're just testing thin air, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it goes back to the whole aspect of extreme, right? How much am I pushing this on on either way, right? So moving forward, you have said that you're 100 percent Kotlin, and uh, any regrets? Uh, I, I don't have any, no, we, we, um, you know, as we, as we sort of start to expand, um, you know, this hotels white label product that we're working on, um, all integrations with, with loyalty program APIs are going to be written in Kotlin. Um, you know, we've, we've really enjoyed how quickly we can get things done. Um, and, uh, and the simplicity, I think of things, um, and, and, you know, to back all of that up, you've got the, you know, sort of the road that the JVM has already laid. So it's got a really robust, um, you know, library of existing um, repositories to use um, infrastructure wise, like, like we said on AWS, um, you can run jars and, and everything that, uh, you know, that comes with that. So I, I haven't, uh, I, I don't think there's a reason we would, we would turn back to, to Groovy or Java for anything going forward. So you are favoring now just single code uh, single like kotlin only code bases as opposed to this mix and match or you still feel that there is a place for some groovy in your code base i can answer that actually this we spun up a service uh that we needed to spin up very quickly uh last july uh, and we really wanted to you know we we thought that every week that went by when the service didn't exist was costing the company uh you know lots of money uh just an opportunity cost and uh, there was a big debate about Kotlin plus Spring or Groovy plus Grails with Kotlin on top of it. And uh, at the end of the day, we reached for Groovy and Grails. And um, I, I know that's not the answer you want on this podcast. Uh, that service is now the I want the I was, truth. I was talking about that that's 60% uh, Kotlin. Uh, but the Kotlin migration uh, began happening after the initial prototype was out. Uh, we, we When there's money on the line, we've just found that Groovy and Grails it's not a sexy framework and it's not a sexy language, but we've just found that they get us to MVP faster than Kotlin plus Spring. That's that's my take on it. Tyler, you may have a different perspective. I just to you know just a quick addition. I'm I'm curious, you know, what the answer to Groovy verse or Groovy and Grails versus Kotlin and Spring is next time around, um, because it that's seems like point. yeah, it, it seems like there was um, you know it's it's pretty evident in that they almost started converting to Kotlin really soon after. That's um, true. So I'd be curious if they'd make the same decision again. Um, and I'm super curious if it's the, you know, what happens next. And I'm super curious if it is actually Groovy or Grails, right? Because like, I mean, one of the things that was big about Ruby on Rails was you're going to get rid of all this ceremony because, you know, 80% of the type of applications you do are always the same. They're always crud and we'll put in a whole bunch of conventions for you so that you can just, you know, spin up an application real fast and fill in the gaps, right? And that's why initially I was asking, like, 
is it the groovy aspect of this or is it the grails aspect of yeah, that's a so, great question and and to answer i can answer that the the that application is now majority Kotlin, and Grails is just the last piece of gluing it all together, setting up crons, exactly what you just described. So the the appeal is Grails, not Groovy. Yeah. So we need to go back and create Grails, I guess, at some point. Anything anything that that has is built, in my opinion, anything that's built with the practicality of uh, business uh, moves quickly and... Uh, and more quickly than I think most developers are, are comfortable with. And the more tooling you can give developers to uh, make things happen really quickly at a just barely good enough level is a good thing, in my opinion. And especially if you can do it without making too many compromises along the way. I mean, I think Spring Boot is fantastic uh, for that. But uh, I, I think that, you know, you can always go two, three, four, five steps further in terms of, you know, I mean, you think you think of something like Squarespace or WordPress with templates and stuff like that. And uh, if you're a business person, you know, trying to start a blog or you know, trying to start a website, website, uh, you know, even if even if I as a developer were to try to start a website, uh, I might reach for something like that. Um, just because at the end of the day, uh, uh, it costs more of my time and of you know another developer's time uh, to go uh, manually set up a front and back end, you know. You know, kind of like properly architected and properly uh, separate. You know, the concerns all separated, and these things that, that get you most of the way there, or in the case of something like Squarespace or Wix or something like that, all of the way there. You know, with drag and drop templating, um, it's just it's just so. I cannot, as a former entrepreneur myself, I cannot deny how valuable that is to get something up and see if it works. And so in the situation where you need to get something up and see if it works, uh, I don't think Kotlin plus Spring is is uh, fast enough. And uh, I think that as messy and, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes, uh, I guess, uh, ugly or automatic or, you know, it doesn't give you the access you need as Grails is, uh, it does just win in terms of speed to, to uh, delivery for the like the minimum the mvp the, the quick and dirty mvp does that make sense yeah and i can't disagree with that because you know at the end of the day the majority of applications are just very um sophisticated uis on an excel sheet essentially right you know or, or, an, or an excel sheet an access database right uh, because they're basically crud with with nice uh, uis yep. uh so but yeah so i i guess but going back to the the core question, then you agree that you know it's it's the it's the Grails factor here. I think that has probably more of an influence than that's right. The, yeah, the language absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think okay. so. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for developer familiarity. That's that's true. That's true as well. Tyler was hinting at that earlier when he said if we were to make the same decision today. I, you know, I think that at Rocket, there's probably fifty percent of the engineers are uh, prefer Kotlin. Uh, and the other 50 to Groovy and the other 50% are curious but just have not gotten their feet wet enough to be really comfortable in Colin. Would you agree with that, Tyler? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's 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 fair to say. But why do you think that is? I mean, Groovy and Kotlin are pretty similar when it comes to languages, no? I think it's... I mean, when it comes to syntax, sorry. Yeah, they, they are. I think... Uh, Certainly, I, I would say that uh, if you compare to Scala, uh, certainly Kotlin is just a very, I think, um, 
the language you guys have JetBrains have done a nice job of making it very accessible and easy to understand. Um, that said, it looks like a different language. Uh, like if you compare Groovy to Java, for example, um, that's an, it's an almost uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, you can almost start writing Groovy without knowing anything about the language. Um, and Kotlin is is most of the way there. I, I I think that the decisions you know to not be Java and not look like Java are smart ones. Uh, but I think that uh, given it, you know I think somebody needs at least a day or two days of just playing around with toy projects with Kotlin uh, before uh, you really feel like I can execute this application code. I'll give you an example. I, I think things like um, writing a, writing a service uh, that needs to um, pull some config, you know, uh, value out of a configuration file and then, you know, kind of set it at the class level, you know, that, uh, just for, you know, kind of cached access. I saw a developer who was not a familiar Kotlin developer, uh, try to do that in a Kotlin service. Uh, and it resulted in just like a, a lot of trying to figure out why I couldn't, you know, um, start with null, initialize it after the services, you know, kind of laden, you know, uh, like a um, Spring's uh, initializing bean or something, you know, apply an initializing bean annotation, yeah. um, set the value, read the value, set the value, and then move on. Uh, and there was a lot of gymnastics around Kotlin's uh, null safety um, that require familiarity with the language to do that elegantly in Kotlin. That's just one example. Uh, and so I, I think for a developer like that, the, the why can't I just, uh, uh, you know, initialize, you know, add the initializing bean annotation and do this as I would in Groovy um, become became a slight intimidation factor. Uh, and uh, it took another developer saying, hey, the Kotlin way to do this is do it X, Y, Z. Does that make sense? But and I think that the whole uh, when you said that, you know, you were an entrepreneur in the past and you really value the time that is taking it a little bit to the extreme when you say that it still takes them like one or two days to get familiar with the language like you know i mean if you said it takes two months to get familiar i, I can understand but two days isn't that much <laughs> that's I, yeah that's actually, I, I actually completely agree i think kotlin is an extremely accessible language i'm a, i'm a big proponent and a big uh, fan i have a bunch of personal projects uh you know on my personal github where i'm just toying around with kotlin plus something kotlin plus jersey uh over uh you know the december holiday i uh, wrote a kotlin implementation of random forest uh just to just to see what it felt like and um it it takes you know a, a couple of months of that to really feel like you um are running at full clip or full speed with the language uh you know uh, but I think that, that that initial learning curve is about as fast as uh, any I've seen with any language, with the exception of Groovy. I think Groovy is probably the easiest transition, and I think Kotlin is a close second. Heidi, have you, have you found that people sort of write Kotlin in a Java-esque style at first before they get more familiar with some of the Kotlin APIs? Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the general approach is I will write uh, Kotlin, uh, Java in Kotlin, and you know, after a while, then I'll start to look into a little bit more idiomatic Kotlin and see how I would try and write this in a more concise way, or is there somewhere that some way or some different way that I could do this? And I think a lot of that is also, or so for at least for some people, it it their incentive is also looking at functional style programming, 
mm-hmm. and they kind of use that as uh, an entry road to try and write a little bit differently the Kotlin than they would Java. But to begin with, yeah, absolutely. I think that the majority of people write Kotlin as if they were writing Java. I mean, just the converter itself in the IDE, right? You know, yeah. you, you take you take your typical uh, J- Java bean and you convert that and it's going to give you a, a, a Coco, right? Which is a Kotlin plain old, mm-hmm. no, it's a Poco, whatever with a K. Uh, and, it, and, you know, that's one line of code in Kotlin but the converter spits out 30, 40 lines of code. So that doesn't play in favor of Kotlin because if, if, if someone does use that and that's all they see, they're kind of like, well, what's the big deal? Like, why should I even use this language? Yeah. It, uh, it's been fun to watch the converter and the uh, tooling and or IDE hints you know, sort of mature with the language. It's I look forward to you know each release seeing you know what what's the new hint that comes up and and what you know inefficiencies have I, I've been making in my Kotlin code and and the IDE you know sort of points that out each new release like what what can I optimize here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that as time goes by, we're going to have more. Uh, you know, I mean, we've already got a style guide. Google's got a style guide, and I think that we're going to find now code bases of like oh the do's and don'ts in Kotlin and what you shouldn't have done and things like that. But all of that comes with years of, you know, the, the language adoption and maturity and lessons learned, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're way over time. Uh, it's uh, It's been really interesting chatting with you folks. And uh, I very much appreciate coming on. And maybe we can, you know, come back to the topic of is Kotlin still now? I mean, sorry, you know, will Kotlin, will Kotlin reach a day where you can actually say, you know, for prototyping, this is this is one of the fastest ways to do it uh, at some point. But thanks again for coming on the show. Howdy, thank you. Yeah, howdy, thanks again for having us.